Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to FixTheNation.com. All righty. What are we talking about today in this election year of 2016? We're going to talk about jobs, jobs, jobs. Probably the single biggest issue to every single person in America because literally everybody gets affected by that one. There are a lot of things we just kind of push to the side because, oh, well, you know, national security, ah, well, that's, you know, for the military. That's, if you know, immigration, that's only from the border, you know. Ah, okay. This is one of those things of every person in America at some point has to work or has to benefit by someone who does work that they're either married to or around or, you know, their parent or something like that. Everybody deals with jobs. Everybody benefits or not by the ability or the inability to go get that job, that better job, and improve their their livelihood. Okay, so we're going to attack jobs today because both, both of the candidates for election 2016 haven't really spent a lot of time on this. And they, they have in a soundbite, they have in a in a general way, you know, it's kind of like a talking point to them. But it's not to us. We're Main Street. And again, if you're if you're first time to fixthenation.com, what I started about four or five years ago was out of frustration with where the government was, with what it was doing for us or to us, the inability to articulate the inability to problem-solve, the inability to literally fix the things that hurt our nation. It's not difficult, but it does take political will. It does take guts. It does, it does take putting what's right in front of what's convenient, easy, or even politically expedient, meaning what, what, gets, you, what gets you back in office. You're put there to represent a chunk of people, state of New York, the U.S., whatever your chunk is. You know what your job is? Do the best you can for the people you represent, all of those people, not your donors, not your lobbyists, not your inner circle, not your personal agenda. Your job is to represent all of the people who put you in office, good, bad, no matter the party, and do what's right, fair, just, and best for them. That's what's missing in politics today. That's the, that's the rub of the rub or the root of the root. That's a federal issue, and it, I'm going to call it a local issue. We kind of gotten away from that. And I don't mean do what we want you to do on all things, because that's not possible. Think about the national election just for a split section. second. Half the people will be happy. Half the people will be upset, no matter what the outcome is on Tuesday. No matter which way it goes, that's going to be true. Now the question is, can we bring the country back together and get us to a place where we all benefit? Now, we're going to talk about something completely unemotional, because it's a great, great way to illustrate differences. Jobs, jobs, jobs. We're back at jobs, jobs, jobs. Case, you missed it. I am John Jensen, okay, founder of FixNation.com, and I am running as a write-in candidate for the U.S. Senate from the state of New York, 
Okay, I think it's time to dump Chuck Schumer. Okay, and move on. He has had 18 years and has not done anything to represent New York very well for having a perfect resume in 18 years and being a career politician. He hasn't gotten it done. Short of burden us with financial regulations and burden us with Obamacare, what has he done for New York? That's my direct question. To me, he is an elite establishment, career politician of 41 years that's never worked in the private sector since college. He represents the 1% and 2%. He represents D.C. He represents the elite establishment. He's an open-border globalist. He wants bigger government and higher taxes. All of that is bad for New York. All of it. Didn't say he was a bad man. I think it's funny when I get tweets that way, by the way. You know, oh, but he's a good man. He might be a good man. That does not make him a good leader. That does not make him a good senator. Bill Parcells had a line. You are what your results say you are. He said record. You are what your record says you are. Meaning if you're an eight and one team, you're eight and one. You're a winner. If you're one and eight, you're a loser. Now, let's qualify that. Oh, but the one and eight team, they're really good guys. I don't doubt that. But they're still not making the playoffs, right? That's kind of where we are right now. You have a choice. Pick something you know that doesn't work or try something different and try to get better. What's the worst case that happens? It doesn't work. Why don't you think about that for a second? So as you're kind of rolling that one through, let's go back to jobs, jobs, jobs. Okay. For one thing, a lot of people talk about, oh, well, when I was president, I you know, created 20 million jobs. No, you didn't. So let's get something clear. The government, the president, does not create jobs. The government and the president create an environment where businesses can thrive, where consumers feel comfortable, where spending and demand accelerates, where businesses feel it's worth the investment to build for a bigger day because they anticipate better things. Okay. So in the umbrella of the government scenario, private sector creates the jobs. Yes, government hires people. Yes, they employ people. No, that is not by far the bulk of where jobs come from. Okay, they're about ten or fifteen percent of total jobs, total employment. Okay, that's not a, that's not a lot on the grand scheme of things. Okay, most people when talk about jobs talk about private sector job creation. None of that is done by government. None, zero. So take that out of the equation. Let's also think about this. They do provide the environment. Let's talk about the environment for a minute because there are a lot of things that government does that help us or government does that get in our way. And that's where we're going to spend some time real quick. Let's talk about things like taxes. Okay, we all pay them, and we can debate higher or lower from a personal aspect as being good or bad or paying off the national debt, raise taxes, redistribution, raise it on the rich, lower on the, on the low, whatever. You can go down that vein and keep shaping different conversations. 
But let's just cut to the chase about tax code. The higher taxes are, the more government money there is. But that means the less the private sector has to work with. Okay? You have less money to invest, less money to spend, less money to create the velocity of an economy. If you lower taxes every single time, you accelerate an economy. It's very commonsensical. You put more money back in the private sector, more money to be spent and create demand, more money to accelerate the velocity of money and the growth of GDP, the gross domestic product. And from that, you actually raise tax revenue by lowering taxes. Kennedy did it in the 60s. Reagan did it in the 80s. This is proven. So no matter which side of your aisle you're on, that should be something that appeals to you, that lower taxes accelerating the economy and getting higher tax revenue from it. Here's the funny part in this year. Trump wants to lower taxes and gets vilified for it because it will, quote-unquote, increase the national debt. She wants to raise taxes and, quote-unquote, it will help balance the budget. Okay, one, both things assume a flatline economy, meaning there's zero growth and zero loss of growth in both scenarios. That's just how the assumptions are made when the CBO does it. I got a tip for you. It doesn't work that way. When you lower taxes, growth happens. When you raise taxes, you lose growth. That's a fact. It's happened every time in history. So when you do reform the tax code, you allow for people to have more money. Let's just spin it a little bit. What about the corporate tax code? If you were to drop it from 35 down to 15, do you think businesses would have 20% more reason to stay in the U.S. as opposed to go overseas? Do you think they'd have 20% more reason to hire people as opposed to lay off people? Do you think they'd have 20% more money to give out more raises to their valued staff if they chose? You see all the positive things that happen with a corporate tax reduction? Do you think people could compete better with that 20% down move in the tax code against people outside of our country? See, all of a sudden, good things happen. Let's flip it around one more time. You have a trade imbalance, and you have $850 billion a year that goes outside of our borders. We just shove almost a trillion dollars in wealth overseas because of bad trade deals and noncompliance. All you have to do is attach that, attack half of it, and you get 2 to 2.5% two growth added on to what we have now. We'd be close to 4% growth if they would simply pay attention to revising and enforcing current trade deals. I didn't say start a trade war. I said level the playing field a little, halfway. Because right now we're giving almost a trillion dollars, $850 billion. And a trade imbalance is like giving foreign aid. Call it what it is. But don't call it fair trade. It's definitely not free trade. Because free trade, free trade died a long time ago. 
very little of what we do is actually free trade. It's fair trade, but it's not free trade. I'm all for that in the concept. It just takes two to tango when there aren't a lot of players that want to play that by that rule. That being said, those, those overseas trade imbalances, if you just attack half that, that's two and a half, two and a quarter percent growth of GDP that stays in this country. What do you think that happens to corporate sales in the U.S. or to companies that want to stay in the U.S. or companies that want to come back to the U.S.? Combine that with a 20% reduction in a corporate tax code. Combine that with the, the, the country has the highest productivity per person on the planet, us, the U.S. Combine that with the fact that we are the number one consumer nation on the planet. There are a lot of really good economic reasons why people would want to stay here if you made certain changes like that to reducing the tax code, attacking the trade imbalance, Right? What about repealing Obamacare? Now, a lot of people think from the health care side of that, and we'll push that off to a different day. Let's just talk about what it does for jobs. Obamacare was written that anyone that averages over 28 hours, okay, is considered full-time, in which case you need to offer them health benefits if you have over 50 people employed. Let's think this one through. If you're a large employer... What's to your benefit, to hire someone for a 25-hour work week or someone for a 35-hour work week? Because one forces you to give them health care, and one doesn't. It's not difficult, people. You're putting a burden on business, and they're going to take an obvious next step logically. You're incentivizing them to hire part-time workers. You crush full-time jobs. By doing that, you're incentivizing part-time. That's not good for anybody. Who in their right mind wants to work two part-time jobs for the rest of their life? Wouldn't you like to have one full-time job, know where you think, grow some loyalty, you know, dig deep? No? Of course you would. While we're on, uh, well, I mentioned Obama, let's, let's talk about that for a split second. He also did something that a lot of people really didn't pay attention to. He raised the level to about 48000 that if you are a quote-unquote salaried person, you now qualify for overtime if you make under that level. So if you work 50 hours a work week, but you made you know, 45000 that 10 hours a week that you put in is actually overtime. You no longer make 45. You make more. You get overtime. So let me get this right. By raising that ceiling... You know what he did, right? He actually encouraged people to not pay because there's a now there's a dead zone. Don't you think about this? There's a dead zone. If you work a 50-hour work week and you make 45,000 and you have to get overtime now, now you're making it in the 50s. If I'm an employer, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to hire someone at 40 and have to do, do the exact same job. Now I pay the overtime. Now I'm back to 45. It's a game. You incentivize me to let someone go to higher money to downshift the money to get the same job done. That's what happens when government gets in the way, when government thinks they're doing the right thing. Ready? Let's jump into immigration and talk about jobs for a minute. We have had a floodgate open for the last eight years. We have the highest level of foreign-born people in the U.S. since the 1920s. That's a statistical fact. Okay? Go to the State Department. 
It's on their website. Feel free. That being said, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's a very odd thing. Because immigration, when you bring in people from overseas, when you think about who comes in, we don't bring in doctors and lawyers. We bring in typically a very low-skill population. They want to come here for a better life. They want to come here and work hard. They just want to jump in the labor mix you know, and make some money and shoot for the American dream. That's what people have always done in America. Here's the problem with the floodgates being open the last eight years. We had a great recession, true? That killed huge amounts of jobs. And when every American's out looking for work, what happens? The floodgates are open, and here come the immigrants to compete for the very jobs that U.S. citizens need. Why would we do that at the governmental level? Just simply turn the spigot down a little bit, back off immigration, and let the environment catch up a little bit. Nope, floodgates are open. They literally diluted the labor market to make jobs even harder to go get because the immigrant flow was more important than U.S. American taxpayers getting their jobs back or another job. So the recession lasted longer. The, the, <coughs> the fix for that recession dragged on. Unemployment went longer as opposed to shorter. Wouldn't you want to dry up the labor pool, get us all back to work, make us feel good again, get us back in the game? Nope, exact opposite. Government sets the policies and the environment, remember? That's the environment, and they need to own that. Number two, regard, regarding this particular topic, because the immigration flow was so high and because the labor pool got so diluted, guess what didn't go up in the last eight years? That's right, wages. Lower the, the, the lowest level and middle income. Let's deal with the lowest level just for a split second. You know what drives wages up? Market forces. Picture a game of musical chairs. You have nine chairs and ten people. You're fighting for a chair when the music stops, right? That's a little like a market environment. If you want to hire somebody, but two other companies want that very same person, you kind of have to interview and offer and negotiate and up the offer, and, and finally you win that employee. Flip it around. One company's hiring, and there are 200 applicants and there's one position. They will lowball, take their time, slow walk it, you know, make it part time. Oh, I'll take that job. I'll, I'll take anything. I, I just need to feed my kids. Right? It goes the other way. Back to the labor pool being so diluted. When you dilute the labor pool through high immigration and high unemployment, that combination sabotages the lower wages. That minimum wage, it's a joke. You can't get market forces at work because there's not there's too many supply, not enough demand. What does government do? Turns around and says we're gonna raise them in wage. That's good for all America. Okay, once again, government meddling and getting in the way. Had they dried up the immigration a little and unemployment had washed out earlier, market forces would have to compete for talent. You wouldn't have to worry about minimum wage. They couldn't hire at minimum wage, they'd have to offer more. That's what market forces do. The minimum wage should be a, a back burner issue at best because market forces 
force you to go hire and pay up for skill that you need in whatever businesses you create. There's a secondary ripple about the minimum wage. Right above that, because minimum wage times X amount of hours a week is right below where the minimum, uh, middle income tier is. Because you have a very soft, lower wage bracket, that middle income bracket absolutely gets affected. Why would you keep the middle income people when you can hire a couple lower skilled people, two of them, to do the same job for half the price? You start to wash out the quote-unquote real jobs. Double effect. And again, jobs go away. Let's talk about jobs going away for a second. There was actually someone on the radio the other day, and he was talking about the trade imbalance not being a bad thing because we get a whole bunch of cheap goods from overseas, so we should, quote-unquote, celebrate that. We should want to buy more cheap things, okay, which exasperates the, exaggerates the trade imbalance. I don't understand the logic on that. Although we should want cheap, cheap things. I do get that. However, then the discussion went to the loss of 70, closure of 70,000 manufacturing facilities in the U.S. and the loss of 7 million manufacturing jobs. I'm, I'm going to say that again. 70,000 plants closed and 7 million manufacturing jobs were lost to overseas because of trade imbalances and trade deals. His comment was, oh, yeah, we created service sector jobs, so it's not a big thing. No, 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 stop. Again, let's go back to drawing up the labor pool and drawing up the labor pool quickly. Had we kept half the manufacturing jobs and created the service sector jobs, we'd have a competition for talent. Now the real full-time jobs in the U.S. would be drawing up the labor pool quickly the middle income tier would have real jobs. The lower income would already have dried up because immigration was lower. Because of the competition for talent, you'd have real, true labor wage inflation, which is how you and I get raises every single day, week, year when it pans out, or not if the market is soft. And ask yourself a question really simply. When's the last time you had a real raise? When's the last time you had a real shot at getting a better job at what you do, you know, and stepping out in a different company for more money. I'm going to talk about that for a split second. And again, I'm dating myself, but get over it. Back in my day, when you wanted to get a job, there wasn't an internet. You went to the Help Wanted ads, open up a newspaper, flip it open, and start reading. And there were pages and pages of little itty-bitty small print ads looking for, you know, Help Wanted you know, and whatever it was, listed, and they were categorized by whatever the sector was. Okay. You could tell the health of an economy by how fat or thin the help-wanted section was. And think about it. It makes a lot of common sense. The thinner that is, the less jobs are available. The less jobs are available means the less companies, fewer companies, are actually looking for employees, for new employees to hire. If they're not hiring, what does that tell you? They don't feel they will be growing in the near future. If they don't feel they'll be growing in the near future, what do they think is coming? Same old, same old, or a little bit less in sales, right? Now let's think about a really fat help wanted ad. 
big, thick, whole bunch of people hiring? Why would a whole bunch of businesses, all of a whole bunch of sectors be hiring? Because life is good. They believe sales would be bigger, so they need to bring in some bench strength so they can grow their company and take the money when it's there, right? Businesses don't make short-term decisions and say, I'm going to hire for two weeks. There's way too much training cost and hiring cost involved. It's not worth it. You want to bring people on for a length of time, six months, a year, two years, three years, potentially a lifetime. The longer the better because the cost of hiring, training, and administering is diluted over the length of their employment. That's business. So why do we bring that up? Because right now, jobs are kind of thin. We can't see it because it's Internet now. You know, you go to Career Builder and Monster and all that kind of good stuff. You go through Recruiter. You know, you don't really know how many people are truly hiring or not. And the only way we can look at it is kind of how the, the government gives us private sector jobs or job creation or job losses. Okay. And that kind of has been flatlined for about the last year, year and a half, two years. It's a decent number, but it's not a great number. It's enough to keep pace at being normal, but it's not enough to showcase growth or competition. And here's the problem with that. We are in about year six, seven, eight of a recovery, quote-unquote, those are air quotes, because I don't think it's really a recovery. We've kind of spent a lot. We've spent about $14 trillion to put some Band-Aids on an economy, some lipstick on a pig, and think we're better off for it. I think we have a lot of really serious fixes to address in this country. We are not a pro-growth nation right now, and we need to be. We need to lower taxes, fix the trade imbalance, and get the economy going faster so the private sector can hire people, which in course creates jobs, which in case drives wages up. Number two, lower taxes for corporations and for people means there's more money in our pocket and more jobs to be had means we feel better about ourselves. Number three, we need to tweak immigration, not so we don't allow people to come in, but immigration's built on three core tenets. Are you in good standing where you are right now? Do you want to come here and better America? And do you want to assimilate into the American culture, not vice versa? So we don't want to stop immigration. We should be looking to reform it, lower it slightly, tweak who we allow in, So it fits into those three core tenets and betters us as a nation as opposed to sabotages some of the things we need to go fix. National security, real close to immigration, because when you talk borders, that's the piece that's going to be a national security issue. Foreign policy is part of national security. So having a well-thought-out, consistent policy. But again, security and certainty are pretty close together. Think about if you're a business. Do you hire people if you wonder what next week brings and there's a big question mark? Of course not. Think about it from a local level. You're going to buy a new home, but you might or might not be losing your job. You're not going to buy a house. You've got to let that play out first. Let's say you're entrenched in your job. You are so convinced you are a solid employee. You are going to have this, this job for life. Of course you'll go buy a home. You feel good about your ability to pay for that home you just bought. Bank is full of money. You know your bank account? 
You don't worry about buying a new car. You don't worry about buying kids' toys. You don't worry about buying clothes for the kids. You know why? Because you got a lot of money, and it's not a big deal. But when times are tough and you're scrimping and saving, you start making some really tough budget decisions. Well, the kids will eat tonight, but I don't have enough for me. I'll eat tomorrow. I can't pay the heat, but I'll just throw an extra couple blankets on the kids. Like those, are, those are some really dangerous decisions. I can't really afford health care, so I'll just pay the penalty and hope nothing happens. But by paying the penalty, you don't get anything for it. You just pay a penalty to the government because the government, no offense, is kind of oppressing you to have health care. So my point is we need to create a better environment by our election in 2016 so we can have better jobs for all of us. If you're a millennial or Gen X and you get out of college and can't get a job, that's who I'm talking to right now. If you're a New Yorker, I want you to think about the job market in New York. Do you truly think people compete for your talent or people move out of the state to go afford something else or move overseas to afford something else? So take a real hard look in the mirror about the policies, not the people, of election 2016. Put change back in America and get the economy rolling and get jobs, jobs, jobs going again. My name is John Jensen, and I am running as a write-in candidate for the U.S. Senate seat in New York. I think it's time to dump Chuck Schumer because he has not got it done in 18 years. And what you just heard from me, he won't even begin to open his mouth about because he wants bigger government, higher taxes, open borders, and that's bad for New York. God bless.